Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. Over the past few weeks, I have been um, looking at Romans chapter 7, where we looked at the, the understanding that even when you become a Christian, when you become a, a follower of Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you no longer have any problems and that all of a sudden sin just disappears out of your life. The reality is, is that even though we are made new creations, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, we are still in our old frame our our you know what the bible calls our flesh our our worldliness we are still affected physically mentally emotionally um, by our old sin nature and so at the end of romans chapter 7 paul in his frustration he says oh wretched man that i am who will save me from, from this condition? Who will save me from this situation? And then he answers that with Jesus Christ. And that leads us into Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8 this morning because... We're, you know, we're, we're kind of left hanging with Romans chapter seven. It's like, you know, we, we are frustrated as followers of Christ because we do continue to sin. We do continue to struggle. And then Paul says, you know, who's going to save us from this mess? And he answers that with Jesus Christ. And that's what takes us now into Romans chapter 8. And the very first verse says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word condemnation, um, it, it means it's the act of condemning someone to punishment, sentencing them. And what this verse is telling us is that in Christ, we are not condemned. And, you know, that, that ought to be a woo-woo, you know, that, that's, that's a good thing. You know, some of the different translations say, if you belong to Christ Jesus, you won't be punished. Or, so now anyone who is in Christ Jesus is not judged guilty. Or, so now those who belong to Christ Jesus will not be judged. And that's, that's a promise. Do you realize that from God, that is a promise telling us that if, if you are in Christ, you are not going to be judged guilty. That, that is a reason to celebrate. And uh, imagine, if you will, salvation like a pearl necklace. And each pearl is a different gift from God when a person becomes a, a believer, when a person becomes a follower of Christ. Those pearls are things like faith, peace, grace, hope, eternal life, love, holiness, freedom, joy, spiritual fruit, 
righteousness, serviced. And now the very last pearl that goes on there is security, no condemnation. What that means is that we are secure in Christ. And that's what chapter 8 is all about. We are so secure in Christ that we are not condemned. You know, again, all of chapter 7 was dealing with the fact that we struggle with sin, that, that we fall down, that we, we make mistakes, that we are still dogged by our old sin nature. And yet, chapter 8 begins with, in spite of all of that, here is the assurance that you are not condemned. That's, that's a, a fantastic thing. And at the end of chapter 8, verses uh, 38 and 39, he, he goes so far as to say, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what this is telling us is no matter how bad we mess up, no matter how, how, how badly we, we goof it, we cannot be separated from the love of God. And that's, that's why we, as a, as a church, hold to this idea of you can't lose your, your salvation. Because the reality is, is we didn't give us salvation. God gave us salvation. And we can't take our salvation away because the Holy Spirit ensures that we are saved. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we do. It's not that you have to be good enough or something like that. We cannot be separated from the love of God because the work of the Holy Spirit holds us to God. It's interesting in, in this eighth chapter of Romans, the Spirit is mentioned 19 different times. This chapter is all about the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who secures us to God. He's the one who gives us eternal life. It is the Holy Spirit that does all of the work of salvation and holds us in the presence of God. Verse 2 and 3 of Romans 8 says, For the law of the Spirit of life is Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh." Now he goes on in verse four and he says, we see that, that the, the Holy Spirit has made all of this possible. It's the Holy Spirit that, that gives us the ability to live godly lives. Verse four says, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, remember, when the Bible is talking about flesh, what he's talking about is our old sin nature. And so what this is saying is, is that once we are in Christ, 
We don't walk the old way anymore. We do away with our old life and we now walk in a relationship with Christ. It's like when a couple get married, they're together. Before they're married, before they're engaged, before they're, there's a relationship there, they're free to, to date around. They're free to not date. They're free to do whatever they want. But once they're married, they're committed to each other. Well, in Christ, we are committed to Christ. And so we don't, we don't date anymore. You know, think of it that way. We, we're not free to, to go about doing whatever we want. We belong to Christ. And it's the Spirit who gives us this life, who, who frees us from the old life of sin and death. And then the Holy Spirit also enables us. It gives us the ability to walk a righteous life, to, to live a godly life. It's not something that we can do in, our, in ourselves. It's something that the Spirit does through us. And this is explained in verses 5 through 11 of Romans chapter 8. It says, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not of the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This whole section is basically talking about the transformation that happens to us. That when we come to Christ, we are no longer the old nature. The old person is dead and gone. And the new person is now front and center. And because the new person in Christ uh, is, is connected to God, our whole life, our whole, our whole ambition, our whole direction becomes one of walking in fellowship with God and, and doing away with the old nature. And it, our, you know, that old nature, it just, as I just read, is dead. It, it's finished. Once we were in, in the flesh and we obeyed the, the, the nature, the desires of the flesh, and, and this tells us that leads to death. But now we walk in, in the new spirit. We walk in, in Christ, and that leads to life. 
And then finally in verse 12 and 13, it says, so then brethren, so he, he's talking to Christians. We are under obligation, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if you are by the spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, this is nitty gritty stuff. This is rubber meets the road kind of stuff. Notice in verse 13, it says that we are under an obligation. Now, this is the first time that anything like this has been mentioned. Up until this point, everything has been what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit gives us eternal life. The Holy Spirit takes away condemnation. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to, to live a righteous life. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to, to be in fellowship with God. Everything has been about what the Holy Spirit does in us and through us. But now it's telling us, you have a responsibility. You have an obligation. And it, the obligation isn't to our old life. It's to, the, to our relationship with God. Back in verse 4 and 5, it says that we, we have the ability now to fulfill the law of God. In other words, to live a righteous life. Now, in verses 12 and 13, what it's saying is you don't just have the, the obligation to do that. You must do that. It's not an option. It's a possibility, but it's now a, a requirement we are of the spirit. And so we are to live by the spirit. We are to walk by the spirit. We are also under obligation to live by the spirit. Now, this is really an important truth. And, and I mean, this is, this is some heavy theology that, that is being laid down here. But it, it's important that we get this, that we understand this. We are of the spirit because God's spirit comes and dwells within us. And so we must obey the things of the spirit because we are taught by the spirit and we are anointed by the spirit. And so we do what the spirit commands because the spirit has given us the ability to do that. We're not free to just kind of do our own thing anymore. When we come to Christ, when a person becomes a follower of Christ, you know, what, what we call being a Christian, then we surrender our will. We no longer are able to do anything that we feel like doing because as this tells us, that only leads to death. That, that is separation from God. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, it says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Realize that that is a statement of fact. It's not a suggestion. You belong to Christ, therefore you must, you have 
crucified your flesh, your old nature. Galatians 5.25 says, if you live by the Spirit, again, that's a statement of fact, then let us also walk by the Spirit. Both a fact and a command are, are in that, that verse right there. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. In verse 24, he had just said that the flesh has been crucified, and now you must live by the Spirit. You see, we so easily get kind of sidetracked. We, we so easily kind of lose our focus. You know, we have the goldfish syndrome where we're just like, what, huh? what, you know, and, and we're just kind of all over the place. And what this is telling us is we no longer are free to just kind of live however we want because we belong to God now. And the spirit living within us makes us want to follow God. If you don't have a desire to follow God, if you're sitting here saying, well, not me, that doesn't apply to me. What that means is you are not a follower of Christ. You are not a Christian. You know, this is, this is so critical for us to understand. Now, in Romans 7, um, that we dealt with the fact that, you know, we still have this sin nature, but we don't want this sin nature. So we must actively be seeking to do away with the sin nature. He goes on in Galatians and says, so then, brethren, again, he's talking to believers we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You know, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we are under obligation. We owe a debt. That, that is so critical for us to understand. God, the Holy Spirit, empowers us to live successfully as a new creation. Colossians 3.1, Paul wrote, So since you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above. Verse 3, it says, you have died. Your old life is hidden with Christ in God. <clears throat> when you become a Christian, your life is Christ. It's what you are. It's who you are. And you will, you will be ultimately revealed with him in, in glory. <clears throat> But in the meantime, we have an obligation to be ridding our life of, of our sin. Verse 5 says, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So this is saying to consider your body as dead. Does that mean that we're supposed to lop our arms off and, you know, anything else that gets us in trouble? No, you know, th th that's not it. What it's saying is that 
we are a, because we are a new creation, we no longer are obligated. We are no longer bound to sin, but we must intentionally rid our lives of any sin. This is the process known as sanctification. It's, you know, that's the theological word, but what it means is to set apart for a holy purpose because sin is still present in, in our lives, in our, in our minds, in, you know, in, in us. We have to go through this process of getting it out of our lives. Think of a woodworker sanding a board. Maybe there's old paint on the board. Maybe there's impurities, there's stains, there's all kinds of different things. And so you sand and you take off all of that old and get rid of it. That's the process of sanctification. In Colossians 3.8, he says, put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self. You know, that, that, that sounds like sanding. You know, you're sanding off this old stuff that doesn't belong on you anymore. Because you are a new creation, because you are not who you used to be, the old self is dead, so you, you treat it as such. You don't, you don't continue to dress it up. You know, it, if, you know, if it's dead, you bury it, you, you get rid of it. You don't continue to, to feed it. You don't continue to, to put makeup on it. You know, it's done. It's dead. Now, jumping down to verse 12 and following in Colossians, he says, so those, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience beyond all of these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving as thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You and I have an obligation. It's not okay for us just to kind of continue to, to flop through life. You know, well, well, this is just how it is. You know. No, as a Christian, we are obligated to kill sin in our lives. This is the process of sanctification. Now, just real quickly, justification is what happens when a person comes to Christ. It happens in the instant that they commit their life to Christ, then the, the spirit of God comes and lives within them. At that moment, a person is given eternal life. They are seated with Christ in, in heaven. We are hidden with Christ in God. We are forever God's children. We are justified before God because of Jesus Christ. 
And so we have all of that securely given to us. It's unchangeable. It's irreversible. It is, it is forever. But we still have a responsibility to actively seek to do away with the, the vestige of sin that is still in our bodies. In Romans 6, beginning with verse 3, it says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized to his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now that sounds like you know, this is strong language. And, and there it says, for he who has died is free from sin. You know, is this saying that we shouldn't have any sin in our life, that all of a sudden we're perfect? No, that, that's not what he's saying. Because even down just a little further in verse 11 and 12, he says, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. So what we need to understand is that the old has died. The old was buried with Christ. It's, it's done. But we still have the vestige of sin hanging on to us. Remember last week I said it's like when you hit a skunk. You know, the, the, you move on, but the smell remains with you. And even though we are new creations in Christ, we still have the stench of sin affecting us. It, it's a part of, of who we are. And so we are under an obligation to rid our lives of that, of that stench to, to, when we recognize it, get rid of it. If you are in Christ, then all of who you are is born again. And you must be committed to the purpose of serving and glorifying God. Sanctification is that process of becoming more like Christ. Now, this is important, and, and this is one of these situations where I'm going from preaching to meddling. But we, we have this responsibility to God to live a life that is, is truly set apart. And our problem, and I, I'm speaking to me as much as anybody, we are so invested in the things of the world. We are so at home in our flesh and in our sin that we don't have this kind of mentality. Someone who really seeks God tends to be looked at as a weirdo. They're, well, what's wrong with that person? Oh, they're just a holy roller. You know, they're, they're, they're those religious freaks. We are to be set apart for God. And the fact that we care more 
about the chief's score than we do the glory of God is a problem. It's wrong. It's sin. We need to be more focused on God than we are the cares of the world. You know, this, this is important for us to understand, and it's even more important for us to step up and say, you know what, I need to get serious about this. Sanctification and justification are, are two sides of the same coin of salvation. Justification, again, happened instantly at the moment of salvation, but sanctification is this process that is ongoing and will be ongoing for our, our entire lives. But that doesn't mean that it's optional. It's something that we must embrace. It, it, it is the work of God cleaning us and, and ridding us of the, the stench that is about us. When people are really Christian, it shows up in, in our lives that, that we, we want this out of our life. It, this is so important to understand. You know, we can't say, well, I, I'm a follower. I, I'm a Christian, but it's superficial. You know, unless you are submitting yourself to walk by the spirit, you know, unless you are actively trying to rid your life of the sin that is in your life, there is a problem. Please hear that. We must be about the business of killing sin in our lives. You know, sin, and by that I mean worldliness, I, you know, the flesh, the, our, our, our old nature. Well, how do you do that? Well, the Bible tells us several things. First of all, 1 Peter 2.11, he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers... We are aliens when we become new Christians. We no longer belong to this world. We no longer are a part of this system. We now belong to God. So we are, we are aliens. We are strangers. And then we are to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. So first thing we do is we, we stop Lusting. First Corinthians 6.18 says, flee immorality. How do you put, how do you kill sin in your life? You do away with whatever it is that you lust for. You know, Paul, when, when Paul's writing this, I, I think it's interesting. He didn't say, well, first you need to go to therapy and you need to get some counseling in order to help you. Um, it's not your fault and you, you don't have anything to do with it. And, and you, you need to be understood as a victim or, you know, there's none of that kind of stuff. He's just saying, get rid of it, deal with it. And he has made the case that with the Holy Spirit in our life, we have the responsibility to make this happen. You know, he, he points to the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we have the ability to do this. All sin starts with the lust in our hearts. 
it, you know, the lust of the eye, the, the pride of life. You know, James says sin conceives as lust in the heart and it ultimately shows up in our behavior and it leads to death. So what we have to do is we have to kill it on the inside. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. In other words, don't put yourself in a position where lust can function. We need to strangle it. We need to smother it. We need to stomp it out. Whatever it is that you're tempted by, whether it's a sexual temptation or whether it's power, whether it's influence, whether it's money, whatever it is, you know, each of us, we're being honest here, each of us struggle with some areas in our life. Right now you're thinking about it. You know, we all have issues that we deal with every single one of us. And so what we do is we make no allowance for whatever those evil desires are. We isolate them. We kill them. It's a very simple process. It's a very simple idea. It's not easy, but it's simple. So how do we do that? Because we can't just very well say, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to, because what will we do? We'll think about it. So how, how, do we, how do we bombard our life with Christ and get rid of the sin? Well, verse 14 tells us, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, fill your mind with Christ. If you, if you have a bucket that's full of trash and garbage and, and pollution, you come along and you empty it and then you fill it with water, there's no room for trash. You know, so that, that's the idea. It, it, it is a spiritual truth that we will become what we worship, what we think on, what we, what we focus on. So what we do is we focus on Christ to the exclusion of our temptations. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, so all of us, who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. We gaze at Christ. We focus on Christ. We make no provision for our worldliness. The psalmist said, I have set the Lord always before me. Another simple principle is we meditate on the word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word have I hidden or have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin. My mind is filled with God. And, and so because my mind is being filled with God, I'm not as prone to sin because I'm so occupied with God. Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good of good report. If there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. You consume 
God. You consume the word of God. You meditate on the word of God. You allow the word of God to absolutely overwhelm you. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Hebrews 4.16 then says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Well, gee, when a person is being tempted to, to do something that they, they shouldn't, when a person is being drawn toward evil, toward sin, that is a time of need. And what this is telling us is when you are experiencing a time of need, what you do is you find yourself at the foot of the throne of grace. So you live in this state of ongoing connection with God. We are told to pray without ceasing. So your life is consumed with God. You, you think on God, you meditate on God, you're memorizing scripture, you're worshiping God, you're, you're constantly being focused on God. And then when the, the temptation pops into your head, you know, you see something that you're like, whoa, wow, you know, or, or whatever happens, Instead of being drawn to that because you are so focused on God, you, you just move into a place of, of being, having blinders on with God as all you are seeing. Part of that is developing self-control. Paul says, I discipline my body to bring it into subjection so that I do not become disqualified. Paul tells us, you know, be filled with the spirit. Peter says, clothe yourself with humility. Again, Paul says, have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Put away vengeful feelings toward others. Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God. Colossians 3, lay aside sinful attitudes. Second Peter, develop spiritual graces. This is how you kill sin. You bombard your life with the word of God. You bombard your life with a, an ongoing commitment and connection to Christ. And you make no allowance for sin to have a place in your life. That's why it's so important that you get rid of the garbage that is in your life. You know, I, I talked a couple of weeks ago about, you know, turn off the stupid television, get off social media, fill your mind with the things of God instead of the trash of the world. Kill sin by removing the things that stimulate sin. Kill sin by being preoccupied with Christ. Kill sin by having the word of God Filling your life. It's not perfection. We're not going to be perfect in this life, but it's moving in the right direction. If you're a Christian, you have the ability to fulfill the law of God in your life. And you have the responsibility. You have the obligation to fulfill the law of God in your life. You can and you are commanded by the Bible to overcome sin. This is, this is what needs to happen. And this is what Romans 8 is all about. That we have been freed 
from our sin nature. And we now have the responsibility of living in victory before our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the truth that you give us. You know, you, you haven't asked us to do something that is impossible. You haven't asked us to do something that we are not capable of. Because your spirit dwells in us, we must be obedient. Father, my prayer now is that you will help each and every person in this room to be honest with themselves before you. God, you meet us where we are, and I am so thankful for that. Father, help us to be obedient. Lord, if, if we have areas of sin in our life, and we all do, help us to, to identify that and to admit that and to, to deal with that and to get it out, to kill it. Now, Father, I want to specifically pray that there, I know that there are probably people in this room and certainly people who are watching, um, help them, Father, if they don't know you in a personal way. All of this is, is empty and meaningless if, if they don't have a relationship with you. And so my prayer, Father, is that you would speak to each of us and help us to be honest and if we, if, if any one of us, Father, doesn't have that personal, intimate relationship with you, let them understand that. Don't let them be confused or, or misled. And then, Father, give them the, the desire and help them to realize how much you love them. Give them the desire to know you and to turn their life over to you. Thank you, Father. May your will be done in each of our hearts. And I give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.